Hey, what's up, everybody? It's me, Daniel D, with A Ghost in the Machine, the podcast. It's uh, Monday, February 19th, 2024, President's Day, if you're in the United States of America. And uh, this is episode number 31 of the podcast, about the psychologization of belief. And uh, two uh, posts on Substack, both excellent, that I'm going to talk about just briefly, but uh encourage you to read both of them, uh, but they fit together pretty well. It was a kind of interesting compliment to each other. One is on Luke Talks, um, the title is Against the Psychologization of Philosophy, and it's from February 4th, 2024 by L.P. Koch, and the other is The Autism Horseshoe by Richard Hanania uh, from February 5th, and yeah, so one day after the other, but they work together pretty well. And in the psychologization of, against the psychologization of philosophy, Luke's piece, he talks about the tendency um, to find, you know, to kind of dismiss a philosophy, I suppose, or dismiss a thinker based on some aspect of his or her want to be inclusive here because women can think too contrary to popular belief um that people will dismiss somebody's beliefs or attitudes because some you know psych psychological detail about them uh and he, he notes that this tends to happen more often with those that we disagree with that usually when people agree with us we don't really apply a psychological lens to their attitudes or their ideas we just kind of take them as you know we accept them as being the product of logic rather than psychology uh but whenever you know the, or the tendency is if we disagree with something we psychologize it we look for other reasons well they're wrong and therefore they're illogical because they disagree with me. I believe X and I'm logical. They believe not X, so therefore they're not logical. Therefore there must be something else going on here. Must be some psychological cause of this person's beliefs. Since, you know, they're not logical the way I'm logical. Like my own beliefs are caused by logic. Their beliefs are caused by psychology. Uh, Luke is a quote from the post. The problem with psychology... Yeah. I can speak today. All right. Take two. The problem with psychologizing people's insights is that we arbitrarily stop the buck at a point of our convenience. Some things we take as self-evidently true and in no need for psychological relativization. Certainly, the one who advances those psychological arguments never applies them to himself. What if it is he who just talks in psychological language because he was humiliated once by a classics teacher and is on a crusade against philosophy ever since, seeking to undermine the whole thing with his reductio ad temperament, um, and so forth. Um, which is, you know, in interesting. I mean, I, I was thinking that Luke's post got me thinking about, one, when is it good to psychologize somebody else's beliefs? Um, which, of course, this is going to require some epistemic humility, because we obviously can't know you know, somebody else's inner thought process. We're not familiar with it. We can only kind of extrapolate based on what we see them say and do and then infer backwards from there, um, which I'll get to in a minute because it's interesting to apply that to yourself. Uh, but, you know, th there are times when it probably is advisable to do that. And, of course, one is when we've ruled out logic as a cause, which, of course, is tough to do because maybe you don't understand it what they what it is they're trying to say maybe they they see something that you don't see or they're smarter than you you know <laughs> sometimes that can happen you come across somebody and they're smart and it takes a minute of grappling with their ideas before you can kind of see oh shoot you know i remember this happened to me once in a philosophy class i had a uh, we had to read the apology for raymond sabond which is the longest of the essays that montaigne wrote uh, the Apology for Raymond Sabon is a very interesting piece of uh, Catholic or Christian apologetics. And when I started reading it, um, I must have got through probably half the book. Oh, maybe not half, but I mean, it, I got through a pretty good amount of it. 
and totally before it clicked what he was doing. Um, and at first I, I hated it. I thought, this the why? Why the hell? You know, because I was having this reaction to it. Um, and then at some point though, I realized, oh snap, my reaction, like the, this is intentional on his part. He's provoking me to have this reaction because he wants me to bring me to this aha moment. Um, and when it suddenly clicks what he's doing and then, you know, it, I have this insight, but he doesn't communicate the insight directly. It's like this indirect thing. And then once you see what he's doing, it's basically, I would say, if I had to analogize this, like philosophical judo or philosophical asymmetric, well, asymmetric philosophical warfare or something like that. It's, it's the most brilliant, like it went from instantly being this book that I'm like, why the hell am I, why, why is this even considered a classic? This is horrible. This is like, just thinking it was terrible. Like this guy's, it's illogical, right? He's, you know, and then seeing, oh, wow, there's this deeper logic that I completely missed. I mean, it went way over my head. And then once I, I caught sight of it, you know, I, I really had to kind of then go back over the first part of the book and kind of get up to speed and realize, wow, this what this guy's doing is really profound. Like, um, you know, but that, that happens. I mean, you know, even if you're smarter than the average bear in public schools can lull you into a false sense of superiority or complacency about your intellect and your ability to understand things like, you know, cause most people are stupid. Like George Carlin said, right. Think about how stupid the average person is and then realize half of them are even dumber than that. You know? So if you're in the public schools and you're, you know, smart you don't really have to try hard to keep up or to excel you know you can just kind of think well you know if i don't get it it must not be worth getting right um but the problem is and i guess there's a whole thing this is the whole midwit meme so maybe i'm uh self-owning here as a possible midwit but you know but where you you realize you know sometimes like that you're you shouldn't be so quick to dismiss something as being illogical because maybe the person's there is a logic to it an analogy could be here order of operations from earth from um arithmetic and i'll explain this in a minute or i'm going somewhere with this so hang with me um order of operations right where you have like if, if you have a series of operations to do you do the you know division multiplication first and then addition subtraction right do things in parentheses first that kind of thing right so let's say somebody tells you you, you see on a blackboard two plus two equals four and you think or you know or i'm sorry let's say you see two plus two equals five you see this and i promise i'm not going relativistic here um you see two plus two equals five and you think that's wrong you know but maybe you don't see the entire equation and so you're seeing i don't know you, you you're missing the there's like an order of operations and so within that the plus two um on the, you know on the to the left of the two is you know a bunch of other stuff that you got to do first and then if you work that out in the order that you're supposed to do it and then add two to it it really does equal five you know so it's not that arithmetic is wrong or you know or the laws of whatever logic or math or whatever are invalid. It's just there's more to the equation that you didn't see. And so it's like, you know, that can happen. But, of course, there are a lot of times where, no, the person really is full of shit. They're illogical. They're lying to themselves. They're trying to lie to you, either consciously because they want to deceive you, they want to manipulate you into doing something, and they know they're lying to you, or because they really believe in something and usually this happens when somebody identifies with a belief you know there's like a strong urge to justify the belief to say you know well um you know so let's say you you form your identity around yourself as a good person and why are you a good person because you know there's this ideology whether it's a religious belief whether it's marxism you know wokeism whatever label you want to give to it conformunism um you know where you're a good person because let's just use anti-racism as an example because you've done the work you've read robin d'angelo or ibram kendi and you've done the work and you you believe that you know there's this problem everything's systemically racist and if you're not you know discriminating against 
white people because they're favored, then that means you're racist. And so you see this and you're doing the work and other people who would argue against you, you dismiss them not because you've really evaluated their arguments or their evidence, but because they're undermining the foundation of your belief that you are a good person based on the work that you're doing. You know, if they're showing you, if the upshot of their argument is to show that you're actually, you know, that your premises are wrong, there's not this systemic racism, this crusade that you've launched for yourself and your life is actually, you know, flawed and leads to harmful results and whatnot, then... You know, if that's why you think you're a good person and they're attacking the premises of that conclusion, I'm a good person, then it's like, this person is attacking me, you know, and so you, people will lash out that way. Um, but yeah, when you're talking to somebody, sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes they're like just, you're attacking a belief or belief system that is core to their identity, uh, core to some narrative that they've told themselves about who they are and what their life is about and then they then you get not the well-reasoned argument um and it can be tough to really know when is which is which right because it could be the case that they're smart and they're uh smarter than me and they're seeing something that i'm not seeing and by dismissing them out of hand i'm missing out on an opportunity to be challenged in my own beliefs and to grow and to all that um, and of course we develop heuristics cause you don't have an unlimited amount of time to investigate every possible claim that somebody might make that every challenge somebody might raise to you. And so you kind of develop some heuristics. You're like, yeah, I've seen this argument before. I've seen this position before. I've seen this claim before it's bullshit. Unless you're bringing me something new, uh, you know, like for example, if somebody comes to me and tells me about how, you know, the, you know, uh, let's just say like they have some argument about why I should support, um, you know, like the, the police are racist. Like that if the, dis, there's disparate outcomes, it must be because of racism. Then they, they say, well, you know, the, the black people are so much more likely to be arrested or so much more likely to be, to have an encounter with the police that shows police are racist. You know, if the, like I've at this point, I'm just tired of even dealing with people that, have that point of view because it's so it's been debunked so many times like if the person cared at all about truth or you know the evidence or, or what actually works you know the consequences of their beliefs like they would have a more nuanced you know they they, they wouldn't approach it in such simplistic black and white terms you know and so if i see that you know, I'm just out of hand. I'm, I'm just, I'm not even going to take this person seriously. I don't even want to have this conversation. Like, it's just not worth it, you know? And the same thing could be if somebody comes to me with a real simplistic religious argument. You know, somebody is like telling me, for example, that they believe the literal historical truth of the first two or three chapters of Genesis, right? And they tell me that, that no, you know, that it really did happen this way that there, you know, and a, each day of creation really was 24 literal hours, you know, like I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking to the person because it's like, eh, I've had this conversation so many times already. You're not telling me anything new. There's nothing even remotely interesting about your point of view. The only reason why I would even care about it is if you're trying to impose some aspect of your belief or use that your belief to justify doing something that's going to affect me, you know, like if you're going to try to teach my kids in school that use the first two, you know, three chapters of Genesis as a science textbook, you know, then, yeah, then I'll, then I'll speak up maybe, you know, but it's just not even an interesting conversation because, you know, you just do, you know, briefly like point out, Hey, there's two creation accounts in Genesis, right? And they have different timelines. And, you know, so if one is literally true, that if historically true, this is exactly how it happened. That means the second one cannot be true. Right. You know, I mean, it's just so obvious that, it, you know, after you've had that conversation enough times, you just don't even want to have it again. Right. And so as a heuristic to get through the world, if you encounter somebody who's like telling you, you know, oh, you must believe this, you know, I mean, if you, unless you're just trolling the person for fun, for shits and giggles, it's like, why have this conversation? Like, it's just not worth having. All right, so what's the upshot of that? I guess just, well, it is part of life, but, 
you know, to be open to the possibility the person is bringing some new information or new insight or new reasoning or, or, you know, but of course, at the same time, you can rule out some of the things like if they're just uh, trotting out the same tired arguments and it's like, is that all you have to offer? Is there something new? No. Okay. Well, I'm not even going to respond to you because it's not worth it. Um, but of course, then there's also, uh, so that's when you, you've maybe ruled out logic, which I know you can't prove a negative, but, um, uh, you know, as, as a shortcut, um, but then there's also where you see somebody has a conflict of interest and this comes in more into like where they're lying to you, you know, um, and, and they know that they're lying, uh, you know, then it's relevant to psychologize somewhat, you know, like, Oh, you're telling me this, like, because you, and here, maybe it wouldn't be psychology, maybe it'd be biography, you know, Oh, you're telling me, you know, for example, like you're telling me that we need to, uh, support Israel or you're telling me we need to support the Palestinians and oh you just happen to be Jewish or oh you just happen to be Arab or Palestinian it's like well that's going to affect your view of this situation so I should take that into account you're not a disinterested party like this has an emotional weight this issue does and that's relevant to you know it's not relevant to the truth or falsity of your arguments but it could clue me into the fact that you're not giving me a complete argument that your own arguments you're highlighting certain information that you want me to attach a greater weight to and you're devaluing devaluing de-emphasizing other information that may be relevant but that you just don't like you know it doesn't lead where you want it to go and so there it could clue me into the fact that what I'm getting from you is kind of propaganda, talking points or whatever that support a particular narrative that you like because of biographical details or psychological details about yourself. You know, it could just be not, again, to say that uh, by pointing out, oh, you're Arab, and so therefore your objections to, you know, what Israel's doing, for example are therefore I can just dismiss them. It may, it may just mean, well, I should take that into account so that when you tell me something, I know I should scrutinize it a little bit more carefully, you know, than maybe I would if you were some totally disinterested party and you're, you're, you're giving me what sounds like a plausible, here's this side, here's this side, here's kind of like what that means for us as Americans you know, then maybe I don't scrutinize your view quite as closely as I would if I knew, oh, you're Jewish and you have family in Israel, or oh, you're Arab and you have family in Palestine, or you're Palestinian yourself, or whatever, right? Um, okay, some of this is kind of obvious, I guess, is what I'm saying, but, um, you know, and there's also, I guess, where the person's been unreliable in the past, and then you're trying to find out, well, why are they saying this? Why do they keep harping on this issue? You know, like if somebody's just obsessed with a particular thing, <laughs> you may look at me and point out some of the things that I, issues that I could keep coming back to. Why are you obsessed with this? Well, maybe I'll get to that in a minute because I'm going to talk about Richard Hananita's article in which he does psychologize himself. And that's where I guess Luke was saying we often don't psychologize ourselves and we probably should. Um, and this is interesting, Richard Hananita's article, which we'll now talk about. Um, but before I do, I'll mention... Bob Mayer, Bob Meyer, um, this ex Green Beret guy that's written, he's an author. Um, but one of the things that he wrote, he wrote a self help book, you know, uh, which I've, I found with a lot of self help stuff, there's some formulaic stuff that is kind of cliched, but then everybody kind of has a different angle they approach it from, probably based on their psychology. So maybe here's an example of where this. It's relevant. It doesn't mean that ideas are wrong, but it just you know explains why some people emphasize one thing versus another. Um, anyway, his self-help book, one of the things that was really helpful, it was just a little bullet point, but it was really profound. Um, and the book is called Who Dares Wins, uh, which is good. I would recommend it. Um, but Who Dares Wins, he, he said... Something that can be useful, one, to pay attention if you have a strong emotional reaction to something. Somebody tells you something and you react really viscerally, one way or the other. Like it just triggers an emotional response from you. So pay attention and lean into that. Well, why did I have this strong emotional response? You know, because usually it's like you, you know, we form psychological defenses to things where we feel 
threatened or feel or, or whatever, feel sensitive for some reason. Um, and then two, we can, to avoid that, uh, you know, highlight or overemphasize some other area to compensate, or we can convince ourselves of something being the opposite so that we don't have to accept truths to avoid truths or facts about the world that may, um, touch on something we're sensitive about. Right. So, you know, so say for example, um, you know, if you're, if you, you know, if you had, uh, a, a difficult social life, you know, growing up or something like that. Like you, you know, you weren't one of the popular kids. You may convince yourself that you're, you know, that that's like a mark of superiority, you know, like, well, they're actually, I, I'm just, maybe it is, but, but maybe it's not, maybe it's just, you know, something that you convince yourself or some fact that you tell yourself about yourself. Like, you know, I didn't have a good experience here and it's their fault. The, this, this reason, this difference between me and the people, other people is actually a virtue of mine. And then I'm, then you highlight this virtue and make it that you believe that you have, and then make that a centerpiece of your identity. And really, if you kind of deconstruct that, um, you say, well, this really kind of has its root in this. Like I don't have to stay tied to, this belief about myself, you know, I can kind of acknowledge where it came from and see, is it serving me, you know, to, to, is this belief, maybe it's true. How well is it serving me? Maybe it needs to be counterbalanced with other beliefs. All right. So anyway, that thing from Bob Mayer, basically it's like the, you approach yourself and your own life or incidents from your life. He, his analogy was like a detective at a crime scene. You might look at certain thing clues, left by this person who's committed these crimes if you're a detective and think well what kind of person would do this what kind of person might be prone to you know you know you notice some difference about like maybe the way it, like some something the person leaves at the crime scene or you know anyway uh like what does that say about the person's psychological profile and but to apply that to yourself you look at things that you've done in your own life or things especially that you feel strongly about one way or the other. Maybe it didn't turn out well, or maybe you think it turned out well. But to look at it and say, well, what does that say about me? Because really, it's like you're getting to know yourself as a person, which should seem like it would be easier to do, but it's actually extremely difficult, you know? Um, so Richard Hananiel, he really did that, and it's a great essay called the autism horseshoe and the upshot of that he talks about his own experience growing up you know being on the spectrum and then talks about how autism you know because of the differences that people with autism have in the way that they think the way they approach the world especially when it comes to social interactions um, those that are higher iq uh, can actually have more success as a result of their autism because it forces you to figure out workarounds it also forces you to try to understand why, how these differences work and what they mean. And, and, and that can in fact lead you to a deeper understanding or insight about social dynamics, relationships and all that, which can ironically lead you to have more success socially, you know, or, or to have insights that are valuable to people help you actually in the long run in terms of your relationships. Whereas if you don't have a certain level of intelligence, if you're a lower IQ and you have these autistic traits, you may just never figure out why, you're having problems socially and it just, you, you know, your life crashes and burns. Um, but his essay is interesting because I mean, first of all, I just point out with autism or Asperger's or any of these things, it's a label. It's not an explanation. You know, it's not an explanation for why these clusters of symptoms occur, why people have certain, I don't know, mental frameworks or, or skill sets or interests or whatever that the whole constellation of things that go into your personality, your, you know, what makes you, you, when you approach the world when you approach social situations. Uh, but there are certain traits that seem to, that people will have, and, you know, just labeled, um, autism or Asperger's are on the spectrum. Um, there's a, actually a, from the peanuts, uh, or the Charlie Brown Christmas movie, there's this line where, uh, Lucy is see, Charlie Brown's depressed. So Lucy offers to see him, you know, at her little psychiatric help booth. And he sits down and she's like, we got to find out what's wrong with you so we can label it. You know, it's like, 
like that's going to solve it. If once we know what it is, we can label it, and that's going to you know, and that's kind of what the way autism is. It's like it's just a label, you know. It, it doesn't really. Um, people will posit. It's kind of funny the way language works. People will posit labels as being an explanation for something. C.S. Lewis brought this up with in the process. I'll get back to Hannity's article in a second. Uh, C.S. Lewis brought this up once about instinct. You know, where people will say there are these laws of nature. Or there's this. You know, why do animals do it? Well, it's just instinct. You know, it's like, well, what does that even mean? It's like instinct. Let's break that down. It's like it's, it's an observed phenomenon where animals behave in predictable ways. You know, given certain you know at a certain time or in a certain place or in certain conditions they do x and it's like it doesn't say why they do x and but people you know when once you label it, it well it's an instinct well just it's a very it's a it's like x in a, an equation you know we don't know what it really means we're just we see this happening and to account for it we're going to label it x or we're going to label it instinct and then it's like but then it's posited as an explanation as you know why do animals do that well it's because it's an instinct and full stop you know it's like no that's it doesn't explain anything anyway yeah you're getting a little bit of my own uh spectrum -y way of thinking here um all right a couple of things with uh and yeah i'm not using speaking of not using words correctly i use couple as a verbal filler and never restrict myself to just two things when i say that. just a couple of things it's like just a couple more things so like winds up listing a bunch more than two things anyway um One of the things that's interesting about this is that personality types, INTJ, or those that are kind of close to being INTJ, um, so it's like some low percent of the population, like 1% or 2% of people are INTJ. It's not a common Myers-Briggs personality types. INTJ is not common. But I realized that at some point, some of my friends from growing up, you know, we t took, you know, different, these Myers-Briggs personality tests and, you know, we're like, hey, have you just taken this? You're just curious to see, you know, if we we're all, and it turns out of my friends growing up, most were INTJ or like one letter off, you know, from INTJ. And so you say, well, why would, you know there must be something there like and then you know people that i've connected with um for example on substack some you know in chats or you know that came up and oh wow they're intj too it's like here's this low percent of the population that but we seem to find each other and john carter of mars in one conversation said that uh it's like our our gaydar you know the intj people are the people on the spectrum and so anyway it just makes me think this whole label of, of autism, it just refers to, you know, maybe this isn't all that it refers to, but it seems like people that are INTJ, there just seems to be a strong correlation there. And so then it makes me wonder, well, maybe it's just when you're a kid, you're just kind of, you have different interests. You're, all right, just as there's a bell curve when it comes to IQ and other traits, there's bell curve distributions. Imagine a three-dimensional bell curve, a bell curve of different bell curves, you know, so you got IQ, you got um, social, social intelligence or whatever that is, you know, uh, all these different traits, different interests, they all kind of occur in something like a bell curve distribution where most people kind of cluster around, you know, within one standard deviation of whatever the mean is. Uh, but some people are on a tail end, one way or the other. And so imagine this three-dimensional bell curve, and you're on a tail end of one of these tail ends. So you're just kind of a weirdo, right? <laughs> Which INTJ seems to be like that. You know, uh, people that are that I have known who are INTJ tend to be, well, introverted, um, but also... Um, into ideas and and here's an interesting thing there it's not even that you're introverted i mean it is but it's not that you don't like social interaction it's that you don't like meaningless superficial social interaction this type of social interaction that most people like to have which is small talk 
but that's all it ever is. It's just, you don't really get deep with ideas. There people, and this is probably true of most people. Most people just aren't that intellectually curious. Something that frustrates the hell out of me because I see like cats and orangutans have more intellectual curiosity than your average human does. Why that is? Interesting question. Are they uh, NPCs or Hilux or is something else going on? I don't know. But if you're really into, if you're really intellectually curious, and especially as a child, if you're really like you're fascinated by certain things, you you, you want to dive deeply into like how does this work? It's a challenge. I got to figure this out. And ninety eight percent of the people around you don't share that trait. That's gonna right there be a huge barrier because if you're talking, they want to talk about in the same way that as adults people want to talk about you know celebrity gossip or you know sports ball or whatever. And it's like you know that that can be fine to an extent maybe. Sometimes there's something interesting, but usually there it's like if you talk about a celebrity, for example, it's not just to keep up with the gossip and this is what's going on in the world. It's not like to have the latest most trendy knowledge about the most fashionable people but it's more like oh this is interesting because of the psychology of this person or because of you know um anyway there's there's some deeper idea that you find interesting and this is relevant to them so anyway if you have that as a child and you are really interested in certain things you want to figure it out and you're very curious and then most of the people around you just aren't you don't have at that point the self-awareness, the maturity, the life experience to know that's what's going on. You just approach kind of naively about, because you lack a lot of information about how the world works. Like you try to talk, people talk about things that they're interested in, right? So if the average Joe or average Jane is interested in just the average stuff and don't really dig deeper than that, when you come along and you're trying to talk to them about, and you want to go deeper with it, like, you know, they don't share that. They don't share that interest. You bore them or whatever. <laughs> and so, you know, there's that barrier between you and them that, that happens at an early age. And you may not understand that that's what's going on. Um, another thing that Hannah Nia brings up, which is interesting, is the obsession with truth and logic and, you know, and, and so forth. Like that, again, it's labeled as like a pathology almost it's like oh that's a mark of asperger's that's a mass ma uh, mark of being on the spectrum and is it i mean maybe on the high functioning end i don't think people who are low functioning are as concerned with truth you know i mean especially when you get to the nonverbal folks it's probably hard for them to even you know have a you know concept of truth and what it means um truth with a capital t or whatever but you know, again, that's like, you're INTJ, you have this, you know, desire to figure things out, right? Like, you, you see something, and it could be, and then as a kid, you know, maybe it's like you see, you know, uh, you, you find out the caterpillars turn into butterflies. And that's just fascinating. How does this happen, right? And whereas most of your peers just look at that and it's like, oh, yeah, of course, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. Everybody knows that. But you look at it and you're like, well, that's really uh, quite wild that, you know, this insect completely changes forms. Like, it, you know, it has at some point all these legs. Insects are only supposed to have six legs, but this caterpillar has so many freaking legs. And then all of a sudden it has, it turns into this butterfly and it's got six legs like all the other insects. Plus it's got wings. It's like, it's, it's just kind of wild, right? You know, <laughs> so... There's, two, there, you know, there's different types of kids and most kids are just not going to be that interested in like, well, how does this work? Why does the caterpillar turn into the butterfly? Like, how does this, how do you get from one point to the next? Others are just content to like, yeah, whatever. They just, they just do, you know, let's talk about, you know, I don't know, whatever was on television or whatever cartoon GI Joe, you know, or let's play, you know, whatever, you know, and, and again, so it's like, is that a thing? It just seems to me like there's a possibility here that you're wired differently from a younger age and you and you form interest based on what you're good at, what and well, and what you're interested in, really is I mean, there's no rhyme or reason to it, really. It's like if if you can some things you can learn to become interested in uh, if you stick with it, you know, like uh, but other things it's just you either are or you're not and if um anyway 
So that can be an isolating thing. Anyway, um, and we form our own theory of mind based on how, you know, everybody does this, at least intuitively early on, until you learn otherwise. You form your theory of mind. You project your own inner state onto others because you're not privy to their thoughts or emotions. You're privy to your own. And so you just assume that other people share your thoughts and emotions. Now, going back to this three-dimensional bell curve, right? Like, if if you're on a tail end of a tail end, you know, in, of, in terms of your constellation of interests and aptitudes and all that, um, and you project that onto other people, it's not going to work very well, you know, whereas the average Joe is kind of near the middle, you know, uh, near the, the peak of the bell curve of all these different bell curve distributions, he can project his own frame of mind onto people and it works most of the time because most people are like him, right? So it's not anything like he's got this extra gift. I mean, in a way, if you're trying to navigate society and most people are similar to you, I mean, it's just like if you were to navigate a terrain and who's better at map reading and, and you just judge based on that. Well, this person didn't find the objective, so they're not as good at map reading as this other person. Well, if you look at the maps themselves and you realize, well, one person's map is of a different territory entirely, you know, that has some similarities to this territory, but some differences. And the other person's just, you know, is an exact, like it's, it's the correct map. Well, you know, that could be the difference right there. It may be that the other person who's supposedly better at map reading really isn't you know it's just he's just got a map that matches the terrain a little more and that can really be the case when you're talking about why people think the way that they think and why they you know approach life the way they do you project your own you form your theory of mind by projecting your own inner state onto other people and then you realize oh snap at some point and this is where as Hananiah points out with this horseshoe of uh you know, high functioning versus low functioning. If you're high functioning enough, you notice like, okay, this isn't working out. I'm, I'm thinking people should respond this way based on this theory of mind that I've intuitively formed, but it's not happening. So what's going on here? And then you dig into the reasons and like, what is it that makes these people tick? Like that can form a, a healthy obsession in its own right, you know, so that you can learn and then eventually kind of realize like, okay, this is kind of how people approach the world and what they why they're interested in what they're interested in why they do what they do and you may not totally get it but you can kind of understand a little more and navigate social dynamics um but as a kid you don't have the maturity or life experience to do that you just know that wow you know it seems like people should be interested in this and they're not you know what's going on here like um anyway uh let's see with that I think that in looking at, um, you know, your own attitudes and values, those experiences uh, do shape you in understanding why you think the way you think and approach the world the way you approach the world. Uh, Psychologizing your own beliefs can be helpful, you know. Um, And Hananiah does a great job of that with the autism horseshoe. but I think you can also give, you know, if, if you are on the spectrum or if you have, if you're a fellow INTJ, um, you know, it can get, help you to give grace to yourself. You know, for some of the things, especially if you're looking back at your early life, you know, maybe uh, frustrations or failures and, and see like, well, you know, you kind of do the best you can with what you got, you know, and it is what it is. But, you know, it can be hopefully helpful if you're able to share, you know, form these insights yourself to share with others. Um, I think now, I mean, it's become trendy to, uh, it seems like it's become trendy to be on the spectrum. And here it's like, I get it as somebody who probably was, I mean, you know, when I look at my own life, I mean, some of the things, not everything that Hananiah says about himself, but much of it I can relate to, um, to some extent or another, um, you know, but they didn't have, these labels or this understanding of autism, not that they have it now because it's just a label, um, but they don't know why it operates the way that it does, but just we have this label that fits certain traits that certain people seem to have. Um, they didn't have that label of neuroatypical and whatever else, and so it's like 
this was what they diagnosed it as when I was a kid. Weirdo. You're you're weird, you know, <laughs> you're goofy or odd or whatever, right? Unusual. Um which of course, you know, unique is a good is just kinda interesting. Unique is a good thing. Being weird is not. Yet they're really two sides of the same coin. Um Hey, you're not gonna be unique unless you're unusual. But unusual is or weird is you know, considered a negative thing or has this negative connotation to it. Another term I, I, is original, right? You're you're a true original. You're unique. You're you know one of a kind of trailblazer. <laughs> it's like all these things are good, but you could just as easily reframe it as well. You're weird. You're odd. You're you're unusual. You're strange. You're bizarre. You're a oddball. You're you know whatever, right? Anyway, back to what I was saying though about um. Is it a good thing that it's there's more awareness now? I and mean, Hanania brings this up in the Autism Horseshoot that there's uh, corresponding with a greater awareness of autism. There's more people being diagnosed with autism. Um, but the other thing is is that when I was growing up, so older, um, well, the tail end of Gen X here, so that was my demographic. Uh, you know, you were just considered weird. That was the label. That was the diagnosis. You're weird. Um, but if that kind of forces you then because you didn't have like they didn't tailor your educational experience to you as somebody who's neuroatypical like they might do today. No, then it was like you're just thrown in with all the other because which is frustrating. I mean, one of the things that I remember about kindergarten um, was I knew how to read, you know, and so it's like the class is like was doing this. Um, and I think there was maybe like a, it was a handful of other people that knew how to read, too. So I'm sure they were as bored as I was, but it was like intolerably boring, right? Because everybody's doing the same thing at the same time, the same way. It's like, you know, the the method was, here's this, uh, on one side of the page was a picture, and on the other side of the page was like a three-letter word, and you sound it out, C-A-T, and eventually you know i think it's a cat and pull the little uncover the other side of the page and it's like oh wow i read it right it was a cat and of course if you already know how to read you know this is like why am i doing this so i was like try to you know do my own thing draw or read a book and i remember really getting into trouble all the time in that class because the teacher would be like you need to do what everybody else does you're part of the class the class is doing this you need to do this it's like well why you know so yeah even at a young age i knew they were full of shit they were up to something um yes anyway um which of course, going back to shared interests, it's like you know if you if you don't if you're you don't share interests with other people and their their own inner state is different than yours, you're gonna have trouble as a kid until you realize that's what's going on and then do the workaround. But here's the thing: without having that diagnosis of all oh, your neuroatypical, we need to structure your education a little differently. On the one hand, it exposes you to what could be described as trauma, some kind of traumatic experiences, like being this, you know, in an unfriendly or hostile environment to you, you know, right, socially or culturally. Um, but that, then at the same time, that forced me to develop workarounds, right, to uh, figure out, to have some of the insights, like like Richard Hanania in his article talks about you know, would Richard have had the insights about social dynamics uh, that he's had if he had not, if if he had been labeled neuroatypical and had this different education experience to kind of protect him or shield him from, you know, the the social side of things in grade school, where you know, uh, if if you're different, you'll uh, that's not a good thing, right? There's like this push towards conformity so what it can do it can either either break you or make you you know find yourself really and find and and understand more deeply the different the reason the differences between you and other people and the reason for those differences and what's good what's bad and it can be healthy or unhealthy there's a it's like flip sides to it but you know today i mean if you don't give people that opportunity uh is that better i don't know it seems like you're you're also missing out on something there because um, you do have to, you know, to get along in the world. You got to understand how other people think. And now your average Joe or average Jane gets away with not having to think too deeply about this because they're average, and so are most people. And so they get along fine. It's like the Woody Allen, um, uh, 
movie Annie Hall where yeah, he's walking along like trying to figure out what makes a successful relationship and he finds like oh you know here's a guy and a gal who seem to be happy together you guys seem to be you know a good couple like what's your secret he's like well I'm shallow and have no real interests and you know whatever else and superficial and just care about status symbols and and the girl is like and i'm the exact same way i say oh okay so (laughs) that explains it then um but you know you do need to know how to get along in the world so how do you teach a kid who's on the spectrum that um they kind of have to learn for themselves and it's going to in some ways be a painful experience uh, because it's not just going to come so easily like it does to the average joe or to the average jane um but I'll just say for myself, one thing that really helped out, uh, well, two things. Um, one, Dale Carnegie's book, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People, which he can kind of get a bad rap sometimes, and his methods can get a bad rap. But for somebody that's like, because they assume good faith, like if you're manipulative and just trying to get over on people, like you're a salesman, you're just trying to scam people with some bullshit product that doesn't work, and convince them to buy something they don't need that's not going to work, then you could use his techniques and that would be malicious. But if you're in good faith trying to just like navigate the world and understanding that you need favor from other people, you know, and that also it's just pleasant if you're able to, you know, if you're in a situation to be able to just talk. I mean, it's one of those things. I'm not interested in a relation in developing a relationship with somebody and all it ever is a small talk, but there are times where you're thrown in a social situation with somebody and you got to know how to make small talk, right? To ease the tension or whatever, or navigate the situation. Right. So Dale Carnegie's how to win friends and influence people. Uh, and also working in a, the restaurant slash bar business. And especially I was in a touristy area, uh, when I did. So that was actually forced me to make, conversation small talk with people but in a situation where it was actually interesting because there was a lot of tourists and so particularly from europe and japan um and so it was interesting because then you could talk to you know ask people uh, about where they're from and what their experience has been in america and what differences they've observed and so it was interesting so that appealed to my spectrumy brain you know uh getting to know people that way i mean just in these brief kind of one-off interactions with folks but having small talk and at least it wasn't so boring like if i if i had just been in a typical suburban strip mall chain you know uh restaurant it probably would have sucked because then what's small talk going to be about oh you catch the latest edition of uh you know american idol or whatever like survivor like wow do you think this person could be left on the island? like i'm just stupid i'm not interested in any of that but um anyway those two things so if i was going to say it, it today if you have a kid or if you are somebody who's a little spectrum and has issues, learn how to navigate the world. Um, get a job where you're going to have to talk to people. Just There's no better way to learn than just get thrown to the wolves. <laughs> and, and just look at it like this is a challenge I'm going to have to overcome. I'm going to conquer this, you know, unfamiliar territory. I'm going to figure it out. You know, and also Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And also Bob Mayer's book, um, Who Dares Wins. It's just interesting. He's got some insights, like the one that I shared earlier about psychologizing your own attitudes and beliefs, seeing where you respond strongly emotionally to something and digging in like what kind of person looking back at your life, what kind of person would do X, what kind of person would react this way? And it can be, uh, insightful. So anyway, uh, what's the upshot of this? Well, two great posts, one by Luke, uh, LP cock, um, Luke talks against the psychologization of, of philosophy, if I can speak, all right, against the psychologization of philosophy from February 4th, 2024 on com, And then the other is The Autism Horseshoe by Richard Hanania, posted the next day, February 5th, 2024 um, at com. Uh, both very good. They both kind of complement each other in, in an interesting way and lead to some interesting questions or ideas or whatever. Um, I'm going to link to both of those posts in the show notes um, and also link to, if you're interested in either Bob Mayer's book, Who Dares Wins, or uh, Dale Carnegie's book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, in case you've been under a rock the last 80 years and haven't heard of that book, um, 
Yeah, you can check those out. Uh, I'll include a link for both of those books to Amazon, which will be an affiliate link. So, disclosure, if you buy something, no additional cost to you. It just kicks a few cents of your purchase back my way. So, if you buy those books, or if you buy something totally different that you were about to buy anyway, hey, that's a way you can support this uh, great podcast. If it brings value to your life, man, if it adds value to your day, if it entertains or edifies or encourages you or enlightens you in any way, or any of the stuff that I write, you know, uh, hey, help a brother out, you know, you can uh, buy something from that link. Or the best way is to subscribe uh if you do a paid subscription um you know that's very encouraging and much appreciated and uh a big thanks to all the people who have paid uh for a subscription to a ghost in the machine i really appreciate your support and um anyway but regardless even if you do it for free uh subscribe if you haven't already done so if you're listening to this on a podcast app so that you get future episodes and so that you can get my writings you know as well emailed to you uh go to a ghost in the machine.substack.com um to subscribe or check out other things that i've done link to that will also be in the show notes and uh anyway this is episode number 31 woohoo so many great episodes to choose from plus i think 150 i don't know 150 something posts i mean come on man this is an awesome substack here you need to tell somebody about it uh or uh subscribe you know or whatever um anyway but thanks for uh listening feel free to leave a comment um you know let's have a conversation about this if you think i'm wrong or full of shit or if you agree or if you think there's something additional above and beyond what i said that could be said which i'm sure there is because you know you're not going to be able to say everything about this subject or these subjects in the space of a single podcast episode so yeah sometimes these conversations that can happen in the comment section can be extremely interesting so by all means you know if you got the time and the inclination please leave a comment and uh let's have a conversation about this stuff man and uh anyway this is episode 31 monday february 19th 2024 if you're in the united states of america it's president's day so go celebrate a president as long as you don't celebrate the current one because he's a piece of shit but that's a whole other sub- subject maybe we should just celebrate george washington um yeah get a dollar bill and spend it boost the economy and celebrate george washington Uh, anyway all right i'm just rambling now uh till next time y'all peace out